Harold, are you okay? Easy squeezy lemon peasy. Oh, come on, Harold. It's only a crazy made up ghost story. Right, Arnold? Right. Yeah. Tra la, tra la 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 la, twilly twilly dum. Bang bang, shoo little lulu, Nickelodeon. Good morning, Gut Buckets. This is Big Orange Couch, the 90s Nickelodeon podcast, where we talk about all things 90s Nickelodeon. My name's Joey. I'm Andrew. And I'm Allie. <laughs> this is number 203. Uh, we're talking write an episode, rewrite your own episode. Indeed. Uh, this is... This was one that, Andrew, I think you came up with as we were talking about. And I don't want to blow anything here in case you yeah, yeah, did don't it. Blow it. Don't blow it. OK, OK, OK. But during an episode, <laughs> I, I, during an episode, you brought up it would be fun. And that was like an instantaneous like, wow, that would be interesting. I, I was just going to say it seemed exciting, an exciting idea to me right in that moment. And I'm really excited to hear what episode you could have possibly picked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all three pick the same one um <laughs> Allie, what did you make of this task yeah i um when you guys pitched it originally like on the episode we're not mentioning uh i was like dang that's a really cool topic and it excited me and so i was like thinking about like man what would i do um so i've been thinking about this one for a minute uh, and then I was glad I got to jump on the opportunity to be here. So uh, I'm excited. Um, but I do think we like should preface that like n- what we chose doesn't necessarily mean like it's bad, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, so many people work so hard on these episodes and these things and uh, the, especially oh, yeah. the show that I'm doing, I really love. So I don't want to like think come from like a, 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 a thing of like dislike. Just sure. that, like, I have such a great standard for the show, and I thought, yeah, you know, maybe this one could use something a little different. Yeah, yeah. I, th- yeah. I my prediction is that all three of us actually might do a show that we like, uh, yeah. but um, you know, that was it, that was something to wrestle with because I didn't want to pick an episode that was uh, that I was picking on necessarily. I wanted to do something that like, in my opinion was from a show I liked that felt like salvageable. They just maybe missed, Mm -hmm. missed an opportunity. Uh, and so it definitely does not come up from a place of hate though. I consider that, you know, I, I toyed with locker 22, uh, (laughs) you know, I, some of the real stinkers, uh, but, Mm. um, I'm I'm just I'm trying to aggravate Andrew, but, uh, so yeah, I, I, I totally agree. What about you, Andrew? Uh, yeah, I like the show I did. I think this episode, in my opinion, I think the episode that I picked just had a lot of room for improvement. And I thought that I could one possibly one up what they ended up doing in the episode. Yeah. Maybe I'm being too, um, optimistic about my story, but I don't know. We'll see. Well, I think that's the only way you can approach it is to feel like you could help help along in some way the story um, yeah yeah but yeah so okay uh the so we we picked we picked shows we liked but episodes that we thought needed some fixing up um 
I'm interested, uh, and you guys don't have to say it. Obviously, I don't want you to say which episode you picked, but were there any ones that you were playing around with that you didn't go ahead with, like false starts? Uh, Not for me, just because I had this in my head from when we first started talking about it. So I just kind of went with it. Got it. Yeah, I'm with Andrew. Yeah, I'm with Andrew. I just... I had this one set in my mind when I thought about it and I didn't want to let it go. Um, Mm. And for me, I think like this is one episode that sort of doesn't fit the tone of the series as well Mm. as it should. And so I thought, okay, how can we take that theme and make it more in line with what the show represents? Right on. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Um, I, I didn't, I, well, I had, I guess I had two ideas. Um, both from the same show. Okay. Um, but I, mm. but I, so I won't, I guess I won't mention, so I don't spoil which show I picked here, but, uh, although, you know what, by the time people listen to this, they'll have seen the, um, Oh, show. Art. <laughs> yeah, so like, true. I don't know why we're tiptoeing around it <laughs> yeah, 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 I guess that's true. <laughs> for each other, for, you know, live, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're not changing the titles, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> I just post a, like a, a blank picture. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so you guys already know, but, uh, you know, just indulge us. Um, <laughs> uh, by the way, before we get going, wanted to shout you out, Allie. Thank you so much for uh, supporting us on Patreon. Yeah. Yeah, my pleasure. I was super excited to join right away and get to know more of the, the Orange Couch community. Yeah, I think I think we Andrew and I have some fun stuff planned. By the time this episode comes out, we will have already posted our official first Big Orange Couch T-shirt. Um, yeah. uh, what's it say on it, Andrew? Oh my gosh! Uh, forgive them, Lazarus. Forgive them, <laughs> Lazarus. That's right. With the orange chalice with BOC emblazoned, it's a black T-shirt. It's um really cool. We did, uh, Andrew. You got our first test printing. Yeah, uh, looks turned great. out really well. Uh, yeah, yeah, better than I thought. Even. It, it, yeah, yeah. I think it looks really cool. Um, so. Uh, all those who are supporting us on Patreon uh, in the Betty Ann tier will receive a free T-shirt. Uh, our our um, our Frank tier will have access at a lower price, um, and then Gary? eventually we'll make them available to uh, all listeners. Uh, Gary tier. What did I say? Frank. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's fine. No, no, no. <laughs> screw, screw Frank. <laughs> our Frank tier should be like. Just like you give us a dollar, you get nothing. <laughs> we'll send you a bandana. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, but yeah, uh, if you want to support us, we're on Patreon now. Uh, I do think we're we're trying to offer some cool stuff uh, and yeah. uh, you know curate episodes specifically to uh, what people on Patreon might want. So um, you can find us there. Uh, okay, that's my plug. But, you know, before we even start, Ali. Of uh, all of our friends that we've met through this podcast, you're like one of the busiest. Is there anything you're work like anything new, anything you kind of want to plug right at the front here? Sure. Yeah, that's a fair statement. I'm like really busy a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, I think you get you guys have done a great job of pl- plugging Big Door Prize for me. I really appreciate the shout outs when you when they come up. Um, that's still a thing. If you need some Pete and Pete swag of your own, head over to BigDoorPrize.com. And you can also head over to Krebstar underscore industries on Instagram to see the Krebstar art. Um, outside of that, I have a 90s themed Dungeons and Dragons podcast. 
uh, called Dungeons and Decades. And what we do is we take um, the rules of D- 5e D&D. We created characters and we inserted them into this sort of 90s universe. And it's a lot of fun. And if you're not a fan of D&D, I think you'd like it. Because um, it's got enough 90s references and, and fun stuff to, to navigate. Um, I have another podcast called Notable Nostalgia. It's just a 90s review podcast. Um, but it's with like a BIPOC and que- a queer perspective. Um and it's a, it's a lot of fun. We're having a great time. And then last thing to plug, nothing to put out yet, but I just started doing stand-up comedy. And so <laughs> soon I'll have a page dedicated to me as a comedian, whatever that looks yeah. like. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really, really diving into it. Um, taking a class. I've done a few open mics and uh, I think, I, I think I'm going to keep it going. I'm excited. Nice. Yeah. I love that. That all sounds excellent. I'm excited. I'm. Will you? You will be eventually sharing the comedy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Whatever I can get, like a decent video and like and a nice toned up set. You know, love yeah. it. You know, yeah. That's yeah. that's really cool. Um, and then, yeah, I know we've we've uh, we've shouted out the big door prizes, but I do love it. I, have I ever told you? Uh, you some some of your stuff graces my computer. Really? Like uh, like in the hashtags or something? Oh, no, no, no. Like I have no. a King of, King of Frode uh, sticker oh. on my computer. Um, my favorite mug is my orange Lazarus mug. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, really cool stuff. Oh, that's, that's sweet. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, if you guys need some some Kino Fraud stickers for your laptop. <laughs> Andrew, I, Andrew I, I hooked you up with some, right? You gave me. Yeah, you did. Gave me a couple stickers and uh, my own Lazarus mug. Yes. Nice. And I love it. Yeah. 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 Nice. All I'm right. Excited uh, to have my Lazarus mug t-shirt coming. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got it. It's coming. It's coming. Um, okay. Andrew, do you want to get this thing? You want to get this rewrite party started? Sure. Show sure. these 90s Nickelodeon writers how it's really done. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, well, you, uh, you already know what mine is. Yeah. It's the headless cabbie. Hey, Arnold. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, uh, thing that set me off on this. Yeah. Um, headless cat. I wish, I mean, I'm still kind of shook by that episode, uh, of how much you and Chris disliked that episode. Um, <laughs> but I, even having I said I, that, I, I can see where it could easily be improved upon. So, mm, mm. I don't hate it or anything. I just think it's sort of mediocre for like for the idea. That was, yeah. That's my feeling. But well, that's I mean, perfect pick then. Sure. Yeah, we'll see if I pulled it off. I don't know. Um, I'll be honest. OK, I'm buckling <laughs> up. I'm ready. <laughs> you might recognize some little details. I didn't completely change everything. Oh, that's what I did want to ask. So like. Well, I guess I'll, I'll find out, but I was interested how much of the original DNA you guys left mm. intact. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. yeah, I guess we'll just find out. Okay. okay. Well, here we go. Well, here we go.
So at the boarding house, under the light of the full moon, Harold tells Arnold, Gerald, Stinky, Sid, and Eugene about the legend of the haunted soda machine. As he tells it, depending on what mood the machine is in, it might give you two sodas or none at all. Stinky follows that up with the story of Monkey Cat, a science experiment gone wrong with the body of a cat and the head of a monkey. <laughs> oh, phew. Okay. I was worried. <laughs> I mean, Left in the best part. Of... Yeah, you got to leave that part in. <laughs> He's the a other source are... material. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if this whole episode just became about Stinky Cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I might not have gone that route, but. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, but the others aren't impressed. I don't buy it, Sid says. Everybody knows there's no such thing as monsters. And none of these stories are scary. But Grandpa overhears this as he shows up to deliver snacks, and he suggests Gerald tell them the tale of the headless cabbie. I don't think they're ready for that one, Gerald says, but I'm going to tell it to him anyway. <laughs> Just as it was told to me by my man Fuzzy Slippers. <laughs> Over a hundred years ago, a cab driver in the city was gruesomely decapitated when he collided head-on with an ice cream truck. One year later, in that very same spot, on a foggy night just like this, a woman stopped for ice cream on her way home from the theater when she, st when she was stopped by a man with a golden hook for an arm. What was that? Harold cries. I think it's the hook guy scratching at the door. You didn't hear anything, Sid says. It's just your imagination. Go on with the story, Gerald. Luckily, the man was scared off by a passing cab. The driver called out to ask if the woman needed a lift, and it was only when she got into the cab that she realized the driver was missing his head. The cab sped off, and the woman was never seen again. To this day, on nights like this, people say you can see, still see a pair of headlights swerving through the fog. As Gerald finishes his story, a maniacal laugh echoes through the room, and boys cry out. But it turns out it's just Mr. Wynn and Grandpa setting them up. You should have seen the looks on your face as Grandpa howls, as Mr. Wynn does his freaky laugh. Would you leave those boys alone, Grandma scolds, wearing an old raincoat as she hands Arnold a handrake. They're going to be too scared to help me with my gardening. But it's dark out, Arnold says, and we don't have a garden. To soothe their fears, the boys decide to go out for ice cream, and Ernie offers to take them, telling them, I'm driving a cab tonight to make some extra dough. I'll give you a lift. After they get their ice cream from the Jolly Alley Man, someone waves down Ernie's cab, and he tells Arnold and the gang to walk back home. As they head down the sidewalk, Eugene notes, Man, it really is foggy out here. I can barely see my billy bar. <laughs> Feeling their way through the thick fog, they suddenly hear a scratching sound moving in their direction. But the fog makes it so they can't see what's coming until it's too late. They scream as a man, just like in the story, steps out of the shadows and raises his hook. The boys take off down the sidewalk when Arnold realizes they lost Eugene. Looking for help, the boys run toward a pair of headlights, hoping it's Ernie. But when the car stops, Eugene sticks his head out of the back window and tells them, I got us a cab but something feels off, and when the wind rolls down, they're greeted by the headless cabbie sitting behind the wheel. Ooh. Need a lift? The cabbie asks, laughing maniacally. Out of their mind with fear, the boys run screaming down the sidewalk until they wind up in a dead-end alleyway. They can hear the scraping sound again as the cab's headlights shine at them from the other end of the alley. I guess this is it, man, 
Gerald says as they cower behind the trash cans. This isn't real, Sid insists. Monsters and ghosts don't exist. Curled in the fetal position, sucking his thumb, Harold cries, Mommy. <laughs> but, but as the scraping gets closer, they suddenly hear a familiar laugh echoing across the alley. Grandpa steps out of the shadows, wearing Grandma's old raincoat and dragging her handrake across the brick building. How's that for scary? Stunned, they look back to the cab and Ernie pokes his head out to ask, Need a lift? While they're gawking, Eugene calls out, I'm okay. But what about that laugh, Arnold asks. Just that Mr. Wynn sticks his head up in the passenger seat of the cab and laughs. <laughs> as soon as they step out of the alley, they realize they're right next to the boarding house. We should have known it, Stinky says. The headless cabbie is headless. I reckon that'd make it pretty tough to talk. I knew it, says Sid says, shaking. I told you there's no such thing as monsters. But as they head inside, something knocks over a nearby garbage can, and they spot the shadow of a cat with an oddly shaped head, making strange chirping noises as it bounds off into the alley. <laughs> you don't think, Stinky says. Arnold and Gerald look at each other for a long moment, but finally shake their heads and tell them, Nah. As the camera pans up over the boarding house toward the full moon, a strange chirping echoes through the streets. Mm, and nice. Okay, okay. I think it's an improvement. I think it's an improvement. Yeah, it feels way more like structurally Arnold. Yes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Thank you. So... Um, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was almost like wondering if you were going to like, because I remember the episode review you guys did. I'm wondering like, were you going to put in the calculations of the force it took to remove someone's head <laughs> with <laughs> with a scarf and like, <laughs> just to like <laughs> just to nail it down? But oh I like man, it. it's good. No, yeah, that um, would have been that would have been good. <laughs> I just uh, I wanted that. I I would rather have been watching like a modern day cab, I guess. That yes. Yes. The cab yeah. that was in the episode. I just, you know, it is a very it. kind of big jarring thing of like, although I don't know, maybe that's a modern day problem. Cause we know the name of the episode. You know what I mean? Like we mm. watched it without having, we knew the name, but we hadn't seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, no, I think you're, I think a, mo a more modern cab is uh, the better idea. And I like the inclusion of the, the Jolly Alley Man. And like, it seems mm -hmm. like much more of a neighborhood episode rather than just like walking through Central Park or whatever. Okay. Yeah. I, I was wondering if you're going to do like a, like, a, like a ghost train ending where like you actually see the person, you know, like, mm. the, you know, or, but I really love the twist of like, Wait, was that was that Monkey Cat just in the alley? <laughs> that, that's really cool. Oh, yeah, I, cat. I just <laughs> wanted that Monkey that's Cat to come back. I'm like, how could yeah. you not do that? And the end, of the, the end of the real episode is just like, I watched it again just in preparation for this. And it's like, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, it's just this lady, who is she? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. that's it. <laughs> No, you did. You did. You did good. You did good. Thank kid. you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Allie, do you want to take us into uh, your episode? Yeah. Um, hopefully folks aren't. I, I took the title and I, I completely rewrote it. So I hope hope folks mm. weren't hoping for like, you know, a little closer to the story itself. Mm. Um, so a, a more major rewrite. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I felt okay. I felt it was right. Okay. Nice. 
Okay. <clears throat> All right. Opening scene. We see the Wrigleys passing items at the dinner table, smiling yes. and thanking each other. Every year at Thanksgiving, the Wrigleys gather around the dinner table to enjoy Dad's slow microwave turkey, <laughs> mashed potatoes, and turkey liver gravy, and Mom's infamous green bean ca- green bean casserole jello. During narration, we see Don pressing the microwave for 13 hours and then waiting while looking at his watch. <laughs> Mom brings a green jello mold up to her eyes, shaking it, visible green beans and fried onions inside. But not everyone enjoys the day. In fact, it's my brother Pete's least favorite holiday. He even hates it more than in-school Saturday, a holiday principal Schwinger made up. <laughs> Why, you might ask? Because it's one more torturous day, Pete has to wait until Dad allows us to start even thinking about Pete's favorite holiday, Christmas. He can't even say the word without setting off Dad's Christmas sirens. Little Pete whispers to Big Pete, Hey, Butterball, what are you asking the errands pay for the Isthmus Cray? Just then, a loud and spinning light siren labeled Christmas Alarm with Christmas spelled with icons to imply it's a forbidden word goes off. Don shoots darts at little Pete, and he places his face in his hand in disappointment as he turns his spoon upside down to where the where the jello fall hits the plate. But when the clock strikes midnight, my brother Pete lights up brighter than a Christmas tree. The cold open ends with a side-by-side camera with little Pete and Don both lying awake in bed. Pete excited, <laughs> Don scared as he pulls the covers over his face. <laughs> Christmas Pete title card. Nice. All right. I love this uh, choice. Just <laughs> feel free to interrupt. That I'm happy. Okay. Uh, no, it is a good choice. Yes. We see Big Pete on the front porch narrating. Starting on Black Friday, my brother Pete gets into Christmas mode. It all starts with by playing Christmas music nonstop. We see a hand grab a record off the shelf called Merry Krebmas, and Dad busts out the Kreb muffs. <laughs> Don pops off, pops on earmuffs and ensures they're snug. Then Pete puts up the Christmas lights on the house. We see Pete climbing down from a ladder off the roof as Merry Christmas blowholes is written in lights. As Christmas approaches, Pete then hires a skywriter to spell out his Christmas list above Wellsville so no one can miss it. Little Pete watches as the list is written and he says, boy, Coop. When my parents finally do get our gifts every year, they have to get smarter about hiding them. Last year, they had to buy a plot of land and bury them just to hide it from us. We cut to a scene where Don and Joy shake hands with the Krebs State realtor, and as they leave, he enters his office to see Pete with his feet on his desk smiling. Then cut to Pete walking into the empty plot and starts digging to scoff and say, amateurs. We cut to Big Pete as he walks down the sidewalk. But this year was different. You see, Mom and I have always enjoyed Christmas, but not as much as Pete. 
and this year he was about to learn that someone in our family didn't enjoy it at all. The brothers in the room, Little Pete on his bed, and Big Pete getting dressed in the mirror as he puts on a green and red elf costume. <laughs> Little Pete. Mom and Dad have to know to get me the Kreb Drencher 8000. It's so powerful it could pressure wash the siding <laughs> off a house. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Hold on. Is the Kreb Drencher a brand new invention to the Kreb Star industry? Uh, yeah, I had to, I had yes. to like, think of the quintessential gift Pete would want. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. Uh, little Pete, uh, Big Pete, distracted. Uh, I don't know. I'll be fine with whatever they get me. Little Pete, what's with you? You're acting like Dad. Say, Pete, have you ever wondered why Dad doesn't get excited every year? Little Pete turns his head and starts to anxiously ponder. Back to narration. As for me, I was working at the Kreb Mall of Wellsville as an elf for the Mall Santa. The problem? I wasn't the only elf in the Santa's workshop. The camera cuts to an elf with their back turned to the camera as it turns around to be Endless Mike smiling. Ah, Carrot Head! <laughs> Welcome to the North Pole! Big Pete in his elf costume looks defeated. Mike turns the North Pole into his personal hellscape. We see Mike kicking a kid in the butt, dragging kids by their feet and arms around, and yanking a kid's candy cane out of their hands and sucks on it. In the next scene, a kid sits on Santa's lap. Santa asks the kid what they want for Christmas. I want a Krebstar hot lather machine. Just then, Mike comes into frame and gets in the kid's face to yell, No! <laughs> the camera turns into a photo of the kid crying, Mike smiling, and Santa looking angrily at Mike. Santa storms out of his chair and yells, Ho, ho, no, I quit. Big Pete confronts Mike. Way to go, Mike. Now how are we going to get paid? Mike looks at Big Pete a bit concerned. The next scene with Pete narrating, Now that my brother Pete knew my dad didn't enjoy Christmas, he had to know why, and he had to go to the source. Little Pete approaches Nona in her front yard. Hey, Pete. Nona, I need your help. My dad hates Christmas, and I have to find out why. What if it's hereditary? <laughs> I feel for you, Pete, but... You know, things are a little hard right now. My pops is a little busier this time of year. I, I can't really help. Pete groans. Can I at least come in and break your dishwasher? Okay, Nona shrugs. Next scene, a man working on a dishwasher pops out while Pete sits next to him. Pete knew if anyone could talk about where dad's Christmas phobia came from, it had to be from one man, our grandpa. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> grandpa... <laughs> What's with dad? He hates the most magical time of the year. I don't get it. Ho, Spunky. <laughs> Sorry, I'll do a little better than that. <laughs> Grandpa looks to stop, stops to look at little Pete. Look, back when your dad was your age, there weren't many dishwashers in homes, so I didn't work a lot. We didn't get to celebrate Christmas. He understood. Grandpa goes back into the dishwasher. Dad grew up without Christmas? Didn't he ever ask Santa for gifts? Grandpa comes back out and sighs. Ah, yes, the fat man. <laughs> well, it broke my heart. I never got your dad the gift he wanted growing up, but I still keep his wish list in my wallet. He opens it up and hands it to Pete. Uh, Pete opens it and sees a kid's wish list. It shows Don asked for a Krebstar Pickerator 3000 five-string banjo. The camera pans down to a drawing that Don drew of his dream bluegrass band, the Nose Pickers. Pete exclaims, what a doofus. Grandpa pops back out. Ah, here's your problem. As he pulls out a honey-baked ham as Pete tries to look unsuspicious. <laughs> Pete. Pete now turned his Christmas efforts onto finding Dad his dream gift. But how? He had to call in an expert. We see little Pete ripping a pair of underpants and saying, forgive me. 
He shakes his head in disappointment. Next scene, we see Inspector 34 at the factory as his boss drops a package in front of him. We had one returned. 34 opens the package and finds a pair of whitey tidies with Sharpie written on it and a message. 34, sorry to do this. I need you. Meet after dark. You know where. At the Kreb factory at dark, Pete and 34 meet face to face again. Pete Wrigley, I see you're now up to a 16 regular. Cut the calculations. I need your help. What is it? I need a Kreb Star Pickerator 3000 five string banjo. But those haven't been in production since 1973. Not after the stringening. 34 says as he looks off into the distance with concern. Pete loudly groans, 34, I need one of these before Christmas comes. How can I get one? 34 thinks for a second. Well, pawn shops, if you're lucky, they'll have one. Your best bet is to find someone who can play a banjo and wants to sell you one. Someone who's intelligent, yet awkward, holds many skills, and also a loner. Pete stares at 34. Oh, not me, no. I dedicated my talents to underpants, as you know. Pete feeling defeated. Thanks, 34. Merry Krebmas, Pete. Pete looks back, a bit annoyed. Sorry, company habit. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the Kreb Mall, Pete and Mike push each other back and forth and wrestle as lines of kids cry. The manager of the mall pulls them apart. You two better get your act together. You have one last chance or you're both fired. Mike scoffs. Without pay. Mike straightens up. Now I've called you in my now I've called in my understudy Santa, and if you don't shape up, you're banned from the mall. Mike and I knew we'd be social pariahs if we couldn't be at the mall. No chance to meet friends, buy the latest fashions, or even eat a Kreb dog on a stick. All we had to do was play nice with Santa, and we'd reach payday. Just then a red sleigh pulls up with the words excellent sleigh printed on the side. <laughs> ho ho ho, kids, Chris Kringle is back. Teddy then pulls in Mike and Pete. Chris Kringle actually goes back centuries and is, is German in origin. What? You, you guys didn't know that? <laughs> Pete and Mike look at each other worried. Our next scene, we show Pete ex uh, exiting the Wellsville pawn shop as he yells, Blow it out, your Yule log, stocking stuffer. He heads down the street as a yellow bus. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. He heads down the street as a yellow bus pulls up next to him and the doors pop open. Hop in, Wrigley. As Stu stares him down. <laughs> Pete rolls his eyes and cl climbs in the seat behind Stu. Girl trouble too, Stu asks. No, I'm trying to find a needle in a haystack. I'm trying to give my dad the best Christmas of his life, but I can't find the gift he needs. Oh, sorry, Stu says. I, I've been a bit of a loner lately, ever since Sally left me. Again? I don't get it. I'm very intelligent. I have a variety of skills. Sure, I can be awkward, but... As Stu rambles, both Stu and 34's voices repeat as Pete ponders repeating lines of someone who's a loner. Awkward. Multi-talented. Finally, Pete interrupts Stu. Stu, stop! Does your range of talents happen to involve any instruments? Well, I have been known to dabble with the French horn, the spoons, some Scruggs-style banjo, some... Pete interrupts again. Stu, do you happen to play a Krebstar Picorator 3000? <laughs> As a matter of fact, I do, Wrigley. Why? Stu, my dad's never got to have a Christmas for himself. Getting him that banjo would be the surefire way to get him to love the holidays again. I don't know, Passenger Pete. They're a pretty rare item these days. Stu, you have to. I'll do anything. Stu turns around to face Pete. Okay, Wrigley, here are my terms. Stu whispers in Pete's ear as he grows anxious. When Stu finishes, 
Pete and Stu shake hands. Pete steps off the bus as a few snowflakes start to fall. Back at the mall, Mike and I were stuck with St. Teddy on our best behavior. Cue montage of Pete and Mike pinching kids' cheeks and painfully smiling, handing out candy canes, taking pictures with endless Mike holding a rubber ducky and saying cheese. A kid sits on Teddy's lap and asks for a gift as he points to the sky and says, Excelente! (laughs) The montage ends with Pete, Mike, and Teddy waving to the last kid in line as their parents walk away. Well, boys, Teddy puts his arm around Mike and Pete. What do you say we find a greasy spoon that's serving up some milk and cookies? Uh, sorry, Teddy. Family engagement. I got to go, Pete says. Yeah, why don't you and your sleigh hit the skies, chimney suck? Mike says as he pulls Teddy's fake beard and snaps it back at him. Mike chuckles as he walks away. Pete helps up Teddy. Come on, pal. I'll walk home with you. It's excellent sleigh, Teddy protests. I know, pal. The camera pans out over Teddy and Pete and cuts to some Christmas lights, which turn back into our next scene, Christmas morning. Big Pete, Little Pete, and Mom exchange gifts. Finally, Dad comes down the stairs, ears covered, expecting Christmas music, but he finds a politely standing Little Pete at the bottom of the stairs. Uh, hi, son. Where's the Christmas music? Don't need it, Pete quips. Okay, uh, you, you, you probably expect me to eat some figgy pudding then. Hate the stuff, Pete retorts. <laughs> Just then, the doorbell rings and Pete smirks. Oh no, you, you hired carols, didn't you? Why don't you get the door, Dad? Don groans and opens the door to find Stu standing with a funny-shaped package with Don's name on it. Don, uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Wrigley. This is from Pete. Don grabs the package and looks confused. Pete whispers to Stu, I'll be out in a second. Don opens the present and it unwraps a case. He props it open as it radiates light. Don is taken aback in disbelief. Oh, oh, son, I've wanted these one one of these my entire life. <laughs> I'm speechless, son. The tear wells up in Don's eye as he wipes it away. Merry Christmas, Dad. They two hug. Big Pete narrates. It was the best Christmas my dad ever had. Camera cuts over Grandpa Wrigley, Big Pete, and Joyce singing Christmas songs around Don as he plays his new banjo. All Pete had to do was spend his favorite holiday with bus driver Stu. Pete hops on the bus and it takes off. But Pete learned this year that the best gift, we see the camera pan from Don to a Crab Drencher 8000 left on the ground, was the, feeling, <laughs> was the feeling of making someone else's Christmas their best one ever. And the credits roll as uh, Pete and Stu talk and laugh. Oh. Man, oh. That, was, that was great. <laughs> Sorry, long-winded, but I no, no. Couldn't, I couldn't continue. It was very good. It felt like a, an appropriate length for a full Pete and Pete episode, I feel like. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> so it was, was like great. a side thing going on, so I had the big Pete thing, and then... Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it felt totally balanced. Um, I think pretty much all of it did the Christmas... Uh, episode idea like better mm-hmm. than the actual episode I oh think. absolutely <laughs> yeah uh, i yeah there was like a lot of little great things i i really enjoyed um envisioning like pete and pete at the mall during christmas mm-hmm. and then endless mike working at the mall yeah. is like perfect yeah just <laughs> like yeah. chef's kiffs perfect and then grandpa showing up uh like I, I did a little fantasy know. protein here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'm sure William Hickey was more than available. Uh, no, I, I mean, I would have loved to see him come back in any 
way on people. Yeah, absolutely. It, it felt especially appropriate for a Christmas episode too, um, where like you often run into characters you haven't seen for a while or something, you know? Yeah. Um, I yeah. really loved the narration too. Like, yep. I think you really nailed, nailed that. Um, Thank you. I Thank hear you. Big Pete saying it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Merry Krebness. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, good use of the Kreb products in general. Yeah. yeah. One, yeah. one great thing about season three is there's so much, like, the Kreb products are just skyrocketed to the top. Yeah. There's so much. Fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's, uh, there's no I, end to those. You also did like a lot of little moments that I really liked that I, th- I think like really are essential to Pete and Pete. Um, like the kid asking for a hot leather machine that uh, <laughs> just feels like a perfect weird, yeah. I don't know, weirdo like thing to ask yeah. for. Yeah. And hitting the tone. Like I feel like at the end with like Don where it's like, oh, Pete, you know, like I could just really mm-hmm. envision that moment of Don and kind of lovingly putting his arm around Pete. Like, yeah, yeah I really nailed it. Um, also, just Don having this background, this musical background <laughs> yeah. that like yeah. feeds into <laughs> little Pete's musical yeah. interest. You know? yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you could build on that little little character building between those two. Yeah, uh, if there's any banjo players out there, um, hopefully didn't offend you, but I play banjo myself, so I feel like I can call ourselves awkward loners. You know, like <laughs> it's a source material for sure. Yeah. Oh no the yeah. the the banjo subreddit is coming <laughs> for you, Allie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They know. Steve, Deep down, Steve, they know. Steve Martin is coming for your neck. All right. Um, no, yeah. Excellent. Boy, both real good. And I feel like I'm going to just end yeah. with a dud here. Um, no. Uh, this yeah. is, I mean, it was very hard for me. This was a very, I, I was working up until like five minutes before we started recording here. And uh, I'm just mm. not sure I was able to actually hit it the way I wanted to hit it. So, you know, luckily this episode already exists, and if you think it's better, you can go watch that one. The members of the Midnight Society begin to trickle in. Sam is already there, sitting in the storyteller seat, smiling as each member takes their position. Everyone is holding a bag with something inside. We hear bickering in the woods. It's Tucker and Gary. We hear Gary say, Too bad, Tucker. There isn't time to go back home and get it. The two walk into the storyteller circle. Gary is holding a bag, but Tucker has nothing in his hand. Sam asks Tucker where his object is. Tucker admits he forgot to bring it as requested by Sam. Kiki mocks Tucker. Figures the little stinker would forget his object. Tucker makes a a sarcastic smile at her. Yeah, yeah, what's the big deal anyways? So I forgot. Sam rolls her eyes. Gary, why don't you get us started? Gary pulls from his bag a pair of spiral glasses. Ooh, says Betty Ann. The tale of the super specs. Excellent. Exactly, says Gary. What about you, Betty Ann? 
She pulls a red clown nose from her bag. Amazing. Tale of laughing in the dark, Kiki correctly identifies. Then Kiki pulls out a silver spoon. Gary laughs. Oh yeah, definitely Quicksilver. Finally, Stig goes. Well, I don't know any of those tales, and obviously I've only told a few, but uh, here you go. He pulls out a jug of chlorine. The entire group says in unison, dead man's float, and laugh. <laughs> what about you, Sam? Gary asks. Sam slowly pulls a vinyl record out of her bag. Tucker looks confused. Huh? You've never told a story about music. I don't get it. Sam smiles. You see, memories are all we really have. To remember is to have lived. And few things can invoke a stronger memory, like a song from your past. It can instantly transport you to a time and place. See, that's what my story's about. Music and memory. And when those memories aren't quite what they seem. The group's demeanor shifts to serious. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, I call this the Tale of C7. All right. <laughs> All right. Interesting so, pick. <laughs> uh, we get a narration. Jason, Lisa, and their mom hadn't lived in their new home very long. Jason and Lisa's mom had moved for a new career opportunity, but the move had placed them away from civilization. To say it was remote would be an understatement. We see a lake surrounding the house. It's scenic and beautiful. But Jason was tired of living away from everyone and everything. We see Jason complaining to his mom as they clean the porch. He's a bit saucy as he complains about why his mom had to quit her job and move them all the way out here. He's dressed in a red t-shirt, tucked into his pants, an ugly button down with belt and jeans. Mom smiles. She's ever the optimist. Jason, we've been over this, sweetie. This is an incredible opportunity for our family. Just look at that, she points out towards the large body of water. All of this is ours. Plus, you'll meet other kids soon enough. Jason puffs. What other kids? The fish? Mom laughs before she notices her his little sister, Lisa, standing by the water looking at their white rowboat. Mom yells, Stay away from the water, dear. She looks back at Jason. We've really got to teach her to swim. He rolls his eyes. Let me guess, that's my job too, as he goes to get her and bring her back to the house. We fade to the family cleaning up inside the house. Mom talks about what a bargain they got on it. She just doesn't get it. How could it go for so cheap? Lisa goes to turn on a light bulb, and the light bulb bursts. At the same moment, the light fixture comes crashing to the ground. The family is startled. Is it just me, or has everything in this house been breaking for the last few days? Jason says. Mom pat pats him on the back. It's not that bad. At that moment, Jason goes to open the closet door, but flies backward as the handle comes off. You sure about that? He quips as he gets up and hands his mom the doorknob. The door slowly creaks open. Lisa walks in. Whoa, what is this? What is what, honey? The mom flips on the light. There's a large object under a sheet. Where the heck did this come from? I don't remember ever seeing this. Jason walks into the closet. Me neither, he replies. He takes the cover off the object. It reveals a beautiful jukebox stacked with records. Look at that, Mom marvels. Oh, great, all my favorite big band tunes. Shh, Mom responds. Lisa picks up the plug and plugs it in. It gives off a bright red and yellow as it powers up. It appears to work perfectly. Cool, Lisa says. 
And your quest mom? She laughs. Hmm, how about C7? Jason presses it, but nothing comes on. He bangs on it. Busted, I guess. Mom leans over and presses A2, and a big band tune begins to play. See, Mom says. Must bring back a lot of memories, huh, Mom? Hey, I wasn't even born. The family slides the jukebox out of the closet and into the living room. They plug it back in, and the music kicks back on. Lisa and Mom dance as Jason pounds up the stairs to his room, seemingly uninterested. It's night now. Jason rests in bed listening to his Walkman. Mom pops in. Lights out, kiddo. Jason ignores and keeps listening to his music. Mom plops on the bed, slides his headphones off. Listen, I know this hasn't been the easiest transition. You and your sister have been through so much. But things are going to get better, okay? Jason relents. I know, Mom. She gives him a kiss on the cheek. Give the music a rest. Love you. Jason rests his head on his pillow. It fades to the middle of the night, as his uh, bedside clock indicates. We hear music begin playing. We hear a woman singing, a haunting melody. Jason's eyes slowly open. Confused, he picks up his headphones, but that's not the source of the music. The music floats through the air, and he follows it down the hall. He notices red and yellow light flickering at the bottom of the stairs. The music grows louder until he reaches the living room. The jukebox plays loudly, and in front of it are two shadowy figures, slowly dancing to the music. Hello? Jason asks. The music becomes muted, and the figures stop moving. They slowly turn towards Jason and step into the light. We see an elderly couple, haunting and pale. They extend their arms out for Jason as we get an extreme close-up of Jason screaming, Cut to commercial. (laughs) when we return Jason is still screaming the ghostly couple reach out their faces sagging and pale we see Jason's mom come hustling down the stairs she grabs Jason and asks him why he's screaming he points towards the couple but they're no longer there I swear mom there were people here didn't you hear the music what music Jason what people at the same moment Jason screams Lisa what about Lisa his mom asks We see Jason bolt out the front door. Lisa is slowly walking towards the water. They shake her out of it as as though she's waking up. Sweetie, what are you doing out here? The music, Lisa says in a daze. The little boy. What is going on here, Mom laughs. Lisa points towards the water. The boy. He went into the water. Okay, well, now that... The people and the boy and the music are all gone. What do you say we collect ourselves here, get back in the house, and get some sleep? She pats them on the heads and leads them inside. Up to bed, both of you. The kids walk up. As they walk up, the mom approaches the jukebox and looks it over. She presses C7, but nothing happens. (sighs) Get a hold of yourself, she says. She walks around the machine and unplugs it. The next day, the kids are playing a board game on the couch. Both kids continue to glance at the jukebox. Finally, Lisa says, There was a little boy. I swear, I saw him, and I heard the music. Jason nods. I did too. But that boy, where did he go? Did he disappear in the water? Lisa nods. Yeah, my people disappeared too, but they were here. They were standing right there, dancing. Jason points to the living room. He gets up and goes over. He plugs the jukebox back in. Maybe you shouldn't, Lisa suggests. He hits C7, but again, nothing plays. 
when all of a sudden the machine turns off and Mom is standing there holding the plug. Okay, why don't we give this thing a rest today, she smiles. Come on, dinner's on. It fades tonight. Music rouses Jason awake again from his sleep. This time he springs up and out of his door. The hallway glows from the jukebox lights. It's a different song than the night before. He sneaks down the stairs where he sees an entire family on the couch watching a glowing TV. They turn their head in unison, stand at the same time, and all reach out for Jason. Again, Jason screams. He falls backwards onto his bottom, scrambling on his bottom backwards. The family moves towards him. We're so glad you came, C7, the ghostly mom says. That's right. We think you'll like it here, C7, the dad says. A little haunting girl pulls on his pant leg and says, This is our song. He screams, causing his mom to come down the stairs again, but we see her run right down the stairs and through the front door. When Jason turns back, the the ghost family is gone. We see outside his sister is again following the little boy into the water. Lisa is in a trance. Now she is fully in the water. She begins to jostle and flail around, not knowing how to swim. Mom and Jason run out and get into the rowboat to find her. They row hard, but the water is violent and blowing. They shout for Lisa, but before we know it, the boat capsizes. There's an intense struggle in the water before we see bubbles stop rising to the top. The water grows still, and the family does not come up. Commercial. Holy cow. (laughs) Okay, we're coming back. When we come back from commercial, the family is reset back in the house in the living room as if nothing had happened. They look at each other confused. How did we get down here? Jason asks. We played your song, an elderly eerie voice says. An old man walks into the room from the doorway. We played your song, a wet little boy walks into the room from another door. The family huddles together afraid of what comes from the dark. We played your song, a motherly voice says as it comes down the stairs. The family squeezes together in the corner of the room as spirit-like figures say, we played your song. Who are you, Jason squeals? What song? C7, they reply. Can't you hear it? A young girl asks as the music grows louder. Their mom's eyes begin to tear up. I love this song. I've always loved this song. We all have a song, the father says. The wet little boy walks over to the jukebox and opens the front panel. There is a stack of papers inside the door. He sheepishly walks over and hands Jason the papers. Lisa asks, who are you? The little boy gurgles, E5. Jason and his mom look at the newspaper handed to them. It's a picture of the house with the white boat in front. The headline reads, Family perishes in boat accident, trying to save daughter. The spirits reach out to the family as they had before. Jason now realizes his family is just one of the many ghosts stuck in their own timeline of the house. No, he mutters to himself. It can't be true. No. It's not so bad, one of them say. We think you'll like it here, C7. The camera shows us the house lit up during the night, and it overlaps with the same shot, cutting to the day. It's daytime, and outside we see a car pull up the driveway. A young family gets out. 
the dad proudly tells his family that they got a huge bargain on the house and that it'll be their forever home. <laughs> the end. Excellent, Gary responds, the group smiling. That was great, Tucker chirps. Did anyone hear something? Kiki says. Stig laughs. No, I didn't hear anything. Guys, Tucker says. They get up and they start talking to each other. Tucker keeps trying to get their attention, but they're pretending not to see him. Gary. Gary says, Sam, aren't you going to declare the meeting over? Without Tucker, Sam says. Yeah, I think it's okay. Guys, I'm right here. I'm right here. (laughs) I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Sam throws water on the fire. They walk away, leaving Tucker on his own. Aw, come on, guys. Boo, 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 boo. You know, <laughs> and, and music. Very good. Season. Very good. Um, I have to say that I can only vaguely remember the actual C7 episode. Sure. Um, so that's a slight problem for me, personally. <laughs> um, for all you know, I just retold the story exactly as it happened. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but... Uh, I don't know. I th- I definitely the ending's completely different, right? Yes, yes. Like, what's the real C seven? Uh, so C seven the ep- the episode starts with the family just moving in, like they're getting to the house. Um, yeah, and they do they the same process. The the first part of my episode is pretty accurate. Like they go inside, they're cleaning, stuff's breaking, the closet yeah. opens, there's a jukebox, um, but it's broken. The kids got to fix it up episode takes forever it is a slow episode um and eventually pretty much the premise is every time he turns on the jukebox this kind of girl emerges from the water from like the lake and starts coming out a little further every time and so from there pretty much it turns into this weird world war ii ghost drama of like the music it was like this song of this soldier in world war ii and I mean, yeah. it's so convoluted and it's like very boring and it's never scary. Um, but I love the concept so much of like a this kind of jukebox that brings things to life. Yeah. 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 Um, and so I was like, you know, I think one thing that would kind of be cool in connection to that of like, well, if it can bring things to life, maybe then like everybody who's like lived in that house has like, you know, a song that brings them back or something like that. Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure I figured out the total like <laughs> logical sense of it, but yeah. what's the ending of, of the original of the, with the soldiers? Oh, geez. Um, well, they're like all, they're record. all reunited. It's like a real feel good. Like, yeah, uh, finally, you know, they're reunited type thing. Uh, and it's like, okay, you know, everyone's happy in the family. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I appreciated your like super spec style ending twist yeah, yeah for <laughs> yeah. sure yeah yes. yeah that end um it's definitely very good i i really liked um i like i like the midnight society a lot like i love the idea yeah. of them like getting excited about like old tales <laughs> like that in itself is like creating nostalgia which is really cool um that, that's actually yeah. partially true to the original uh okay. she doesn't have them bring stuff but she re Sam recalls old stories by name. Uh, and I was like, Oh, that's such a cool idea of them. Like actually being aware of the universe. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. But to like have something tangible too is yeah. right. Yeah. Adding that elements. Awesome. Uh, obviously the commercial breaks were perfect. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it, it feels very iconic of the like uh-huh. close up on a kid screaming. Yes. To yeah. commercial. The, the still Absolutely. screaming when you come back from. Yes. yes. <laughs> Just in case you forgot something scary is happening. Yeah. And then I liked your, the parent was perfect. Like, the, the light fixture falls and she's like, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I also like the action sequence was great. I was gripped. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Like Thank out you. in the water and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah. I think it was really solid. Um, yes. You, you nailed Tucker's attitude in the, in the uh, midnight <laughs> society, I think. Um, and the tone of this episode really felt like mm-hmm. uh, total. Are you afraid of the dark? Like the pacing and everything. Um, also you probably, I mean, you must have done this inadvertently, but the way that she's like calling for the boy and this suggestion that he's underwater is like, uh, immediately made me think of Friday the 13th. Um, and then the way that it kind of comes back around is like, almost an opposite Friday the 13th, like the way that uh, it ends. So that was like a maybe inadvertent, but like really impressive um, subverting of the Friday the 13th story. Um, (laughs) Yeah, definitely not on purpose. (laughs) Also, I don't know why I thought this was so funny, but something (laughs) uh, tickled me about the bedside clock. Uh, the, the time shifting on it <laughs> felt like a That's, real are you afraid of the dark oh movie. yeah mm-hmm. it's a real trope like what oh it's 3 a.m okay time has passed yeah yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah very good very though. good right. uh, yeah i have no doubt that it's a uh, much improved on the original <laughs> i'll have to rewatch that now but you know. yeah um when we did our worst are you afraid of the dark uh episodes which is episode 82 uh, I, I had this at my number two, but it's weird because it's not I like even though I think it's maybe top three most boring. Are you afraid of the dark episodes? It's really not. It, it's not poorly made. It's like a really actually really well made episode that it just feels like the ending. They just like it got like very clunky. Like I, I do not want to watch a World War Two ghost party. Um, so, uh, yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I love that we all had three had something just very different. Like we all, yeah, uh, yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, love it. Um, yeah, that was a lot well, of fun. excellent. Can I ask like a thought process question, like a mental challenge? I was like curious what when you were when you said the tale of C seven and like Andrew hadn't seen it before, um, and it got me wondering like what could the C seven be if you were like told the tale of C seven without having any idea what the show was about? <laughs> what would you write about? Or yeah, like, yeah. would you know it was a jukebox? <laughs> um, that is a good uh, thought experiment. Um, I, in fairness, I've seen the episode. I just yeah, okay. so I knew that I knew okay, there was a jukebox yeah. involved. Yeah, I should um, assume you should have seen it. Yeah, <laughs> I just, uh, but like all the details totally elude me. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it like? A, are they standing on like a um, what a battleship piece? <laughs> Yeah. Yes, that would make C seven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I I actually almost retitled this one uh, The Tale of the Forever Home, but I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? No. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> yeah, that yeah. big of a I'm not that big of a big shot. So uh, it's C7. <laughs> well, what I appreciated my... about both oh, of yeah, your stories ahead. was the fact that you made them more like really true to the show and like creating the tone and, and the feel. So, uh, yeah, I felt like I was enjoying a classic Arnold or a classic Artie Fair of the Dark. Yeah. So, well uh, done. Yeah. 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 Same for I, same for Pete and Pete. I mean, yes, I, Andrew, absolutely. I think you wasn't Oh Christmas Pete your definitive Pete and Pete Ferguson. Yeah. 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 So I think different. this is like it just your story felt like a more realized Pete and Pete episode. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. the real one feels almost like it could have been something else, maybe. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Uh, cool. Um, all right. Well, before we go, this letter here is from our buddy Brett Wilson. Allie, you know Brett? Yeah, I know Brett. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, okay, it says, Where does the <laughs> where does the third door really lead? It says, Hey there, gut buckets, Brett here. Uh, it's not often I have downtime from running my own podcast, but your tale of a door unlocked review compelled me to write in after the group's fiery discussion concerning little doors, wooden acting, and Sardo's scammy intentions. Growing up, I didn't care much for this one, let alone see it on Nickelodeon at the time in 96. However, when revisiting Are You Afraid of the Dark for writing the book I did a few years back, I warmed up to it. While Joey doesn't believe this is a fun episode, I disagree. Aside from the seemingly psychotic antics of Justin jumping on tables and dumping bread, or dumping buckets of water to warn and protect Ashley, many middle-class kids can relate to having either girl or boy trouble once puberty hits, including me. Justin is the everyman or boy who simply wants to be appreciated even if he needs a little magic from an unlikely source to get that appreciation. The door is mysterious as any other Sardo trinket in his magic mansion, and it's been plaguing me for years where that third door actually leads. Some say it's in outdoor, which harnesses the powers of the previous two, while my more creative theory leads me to believe the third door was actually a doorway out of the Super Specs dimension, where the sorcerers trapped uh, Mary Beth, Weeds, and Sardo way back in season one, which explains why he came back unscathed. Take the children! Even if the Sardo episodes have no apparent connection to each other, I feel there is a loose thread tying them all into one chronology. Consider Andrew Andrew's genie remark from your episode review and how it relates to Sardo becoming a genie in Season 7's The Tale of the Time Trap. If that episode came first in the chronology, then that would explain why Sardo imbues his various trinkets with mystical power whenever he talks about them. After all, he never learned the full list of rules from Belle after he made the, that fateful wish that day with Jay Baruchel by his side, who had girl troubles in that episode, but I digress. My point is, Sardo has a rich history of lying dormant behind his shelves and leaving Are You Afraid of the Dark fans to speculate the unanswered questions of his episodes. Um, opens up a door of fun possibilities to new adventures never explored before. I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix eventually did a spin-off series of him to explore his backstory in depth, which I'm confident a good chunk of the fan base will love. At the end of the day, I'm Team Andrew and Katie with this rating. Uh, he's giving it a four and a half out of five Krebs stars. One of the better Sardo episodes. 
As for naming the episode, I call this one either the tale of the magic eight door or the tale of the fire escape or even the tale of the dormant future just because door puns are fun. Uh, I hope you have Katie on again. Uh, Her fresh perspective on the series is quite delightful. Agreed. Always great to hear more from Candace too. Sorry she got scammed out of her fair and carnival money. I suffered a similar fate a few years back. Yeah, she's reeling. She's still reeling. Uh, As for super specs, funny you mention it. That's on Splat Attack's roster this year. When I see Richard Dumont again, let let me know what questions you have about the cursed spectacles or burning questions about the door, and we'll see if he can shed any light on them. All right, good to chat with you guys again. Your corn corn cob flush down the toilet, friend Brett Wilson. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, my feelings haven't changed on a door unlocked, but uh, I believe the, all fair points. All fair points. Well, if we're yeah. gonna get a Sardo spinoff, then. I, my vote's for Andrews. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey Sardo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, Sardo. Thank you. Wait, is um, that what it was called? Uh, no, yeah, I think the episode was called that, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. So. Hey, Sardo. Andrew, yeah. What no, your, your reading of, okay, but I'm losing on the deal. <laughs> kill me. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Thank you. Yeah. I was literally screaming at my car as I was driving. Like, <laughs> how funny that was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. It would be fun to go back. Uh, I would love a second Hey Sardo. I wouldn't mind taking mm-hmm. a second crack at Playland. 100%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and, uh, and Lyndon's Hey Gerald was. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Well, something to think about. Uh, in the meantime, what are we doing next, Andrew? Um, next time, we're going to revisit one of our favorites, mm-hmm. the Roundhouse. We're going to go back to the Roundhouse. Round and round and round and round. Uh, yes, so we'll be doing Roundhouse. And what is our next uh, our next Patreon episode? Um, next time on Patreon, we're talking our top favorite villains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very excited. I don't know how I'm going to approach that, but yeah. Jukebox right. number one. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be a little hard. I, I am going to try to avoid it being a lot of Are You Afraid of the Dark? I'll just say that. Yeah, like yeah. That's, That doesn't make for much fun. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe I won't. Maybe I'm psyching um, you out. Okay, fine. That's fine. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'll be excited to find out. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, well, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at BOC Podcast, Instagram at Orange Couch Podcast. You can email us at Orange Couch Podcast at gmail.com. You can hear us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify. Um, but uh, you can also find us now on Patreon, where uh, we have two episodes already up uh, the M. Night Shyamalan episode, the Old Man Corcoran episode, and by the time this episode's out, um, the uh, Favorite Villains episode will be out very soon after. Um, so check us out there if you want to support us we really appreciate it but um and speaking of uh no helpful Allie, you brought the heat again your clarissa episode your, your clarissa episode still like one of my all-time favorites uh and this pete and pete killed too thank you thank you glad to be back hopefully uh hopefully to, again down the road sometime of course yeah. Great episode. Uh, we hope we'll see all you green bean jello molds next episode. <laughs> Come on, baby.
drunkenness and jealousy I watch you talking to some old friend What a reunion He recognized her across the room How many years could there be to catch up on And somewhere between drunkenness and honesty I make a silent toast to the things that I do and don't miss Come on baby, try again Come on baby, try Good morning, Gut Buckets. This is Big Orange Couch, the 90s Nickelodeon podcast where we talk about all things 90s Nickelodeon. My name is Joey. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> I wonder what's going on. Um, wait, okay. One, two, three. Andrew. <laughs> 